Welcome to Spill the Tea. Spill the Tea is an initiative by Scratching Collective. Scratching is a collective created by young artists for young artists to develop work at the scratchiest stages. Spill the Tea is a series of dialogue sessions looking at a range of topics that deal with arts and society. Each episode of Spill the Tea will feature a panelist of people involved in the industry. This episode will be hosted by guest host Johnny Hill. All right, we are we are starting this baby. We are we are getting this rocking and rolling. My name is Johnny Peyton Hill, and this is Spill the Tea. I would like to thank you guys for joining me today. Um, I'm super excited. Um, so Johnny Peyton Hill, I am a queer writer and performer. Um, I'm a student at Central um, on the acting CDT course. And yes, I'm super excited to be able to talk to you guys about queer performance today. Um, so yes, to introduce our guests, we have Yulia Vagina, Finnish drag queen, um, who we are very excited to have here with us today. Uh, we have Kyron Thrax, a student at East 15 and drag performer and actor. We have Rory Thomas House, writer, uh, producer, and actor, which is fabulous. Triple threat, baby. Um, so uh, I would love to know um, a little bit more about what you all are up to, like in, in your practice, and a little bit about like your journey, about how you got to your point in this career. Um, so I, I would love to come to Yulia first. Um, so yeah, tell us, tell us yeah. a bit about your journey. Um, well, I, I do drag as Yulia Regina, and I also DJ in a drag collective called House of Hour. Uh, we were formed in 2016, um, and our first appearance was at Helsinki Pride that year, and we just kind of, we looked like a hot mess, but we just thought we were the hottest bitches in town, and after that, we kind of thought, wait, wait, we want to stop performing, and we contacted a bunch of drag clubs in Helsinki and just asked if we could perform, and none of them replied to our emails and DMs, um, obviously, because no one knew who we were. Um, so we just decided that, well, we're just going to start our own club then. And in 2017, we hosted our first happy hour, which is like a play on happy hour and our name hour. <laughs> and from the start, we just decided that it was important for us to offer the stage for uh, like other up and coming drag artists because of our experience with those different clubs. And I think most of our happy hour clubs have had like at least one performer who's never before, like performed before and um, then besides happy hour we've been kind of performing um, in drag and also DJing with our club concept Discoteca Hour in clubs in Helsinki just around making name for ourselves and then that kind of culminated in us performing at Flow Festival in 2019 which is like literally the biggest festivals in Finland which is and I literally ran off the change after our own show to see The Cure <laughs> which is insane um but yeah we've just done some online stuff since last year because obviously the pandemic hit and um during that bit last summer when like finland was pretty much open we managed to have a disco uh discotheca hour club with um lady gaga's new album coming out and we just had this like um official album party for chromatica in collaboration with universal where we got a bunch of merch from them and stuff like that but yeah, that's kind of how things are going right now. It's kind of quiet right now. 
but yeah that's awesome and I can tell that you're a big Lady Gaga fan because I can oh yes in the background she she is <laughs> she is like the number one inspiration for what uh, like literally everything we do as uh House of Hour we yep. even had a happy hour uh club I think it was 2018 that was called um like basically based on art rave and like we just, everyone all the performers had like Lady Gaga themed performances and that kind of <laughs> yeah, I love that. Absolutely yeah. love that. Um, I, you have connections to London as well, don't you? You have them. Um, are you in London at the moment, or I am you... in London right now. I I study in Goldsmiths. I do BA Arts Management because I I produce all of those drag shows in Finland. So mm. that's kind of my background. I also do producing, and that's why I went 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 to um, BA Arts Management so I could focus on more of the producing side of things. That's awesome. Sweet. So you, do, like, is, is Happy Hour based in, in Finland or is that based yeah, in Finland? That's, awesome. uh, everything's in, uh, everything's in Finland, like drag-wise. I'm just here <laughs> doing my little studies. But uh, obviously I would love to branch out to London, but I just haven't really had the time and then pandemic hit and everything. Mm. But um, yeah. But I suppose that, like, especially doing everything online, that makes it easy if you're based in London to be able to you know exactly dragging events organization yeah like doing stuff over in Finland it's actually quite funny because uh I moved here in 2019 and I I was doing online performances before everyone else did because <laughs> I was like we had our I, we had our little club running in Helsinki and obviously I was here so I couldn't physically be there so I just like did technically a performance beforehand and filmed it and everything and they just showed it uh at the club in Helsinki so I was kind of doing that before everyone like and then the pandemic hit and everyone else started doing online like pre-filmed performances and I was like yeah. <laughs> we've got a pioneer here ladies and gentlemen I, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome sweet um yeah. and I thank, thank you so much Julia um I'd love to I'd love to ask Kyron um about like your journey to this point as well yes um so it's been a weird journey <laughs> actually so I um when I was like I always knew I wanted to be a performer so I tried to get into drama school like every other person who wants to be a performer does um and got into East 15 and I was focused very much on acting and um, then I started getting involved with makeup artistry. <coughs> God, started getting involved with makeup artistry. And um, yeah, and then I was doing it like side by side. So like I'd go to drama school and I'd have my full day and then I'd come home and I'd do like a makeup look. And then it kind of like hit me and I was like, wait, why don't I like throw them together and be a drag artist? Cause I'm literally a performer and I literally like makeup. So I just put them together and became a drag artist and started competing in things um, pre-pandemic and making a name for myself in East London. Hmm. What, what sort of things uh, are you competing in? Uh, so I competed in a competition called the Gold Rush, which was insane. Because um, I didn't really know anything about the London drag scene. Like I just was like, I'll just throw my name into something. And then they put me in for a heat to get into the competition and I got through and then it was like the most intense thing because I was mid doing expressionism at drama school. So I was like, my body was destroyed and then I'd have to like get into drag, like in the bathroom at East 15 and then like run to East London and like do a number that I've somehow managed to like 
put together in the past week um and it was just like it was really great because it kind of like pushes you into the point where you're working a little bit too hard but it shows you how much you can do so it's kind of healthy but unhealthy you know um and yeah and then the pandemic hit everything became digital drag it became digital drama school I was just doing digital everything and it was horrific but also kind of great that everyone was like coming together um and now I'm finally back in rehearsals doing the lovely debut which is a thing that we do on the CT course where we write direct and act in our own shows and we do six to eight shows usually and um that's coming out in the next couple of weeks that's so exciting that's awesome um so um I'd love to know like how you like what what started you off in in makeup like you said you already had like a you know an enthusiasm and an experience in that like what what was kind of like your beginnings in that um I I actually don't really know I grew up with um just my mum and my sister so I think maybe I always had there was some kind of intrigue there because it was just something that those two were doing and I wasn't and I was like what is this um <laughs> and then it just became like kind of an expression thing I started playing around with it uh in like 2017 2016 but like was just kind of rubbing weird products onto my face and it wasn't like I don't it was it didn't look great but like I was like whoa expression <laughs> and then um then I started getting more serious about it um in my first year here and was just like making my looks like more extreme and more avant-garde and like taking more pride in my work online and stuff and uh then just threw them together and was like why don't we just perform in the makeup how exciting is that <laughs> mesh the two worlds together <laughs> yeah, yeah it changed my life honestly <laughs> that's awesome um and yes you what was i gonna say um yes you are an actor and drag queen like how do you feel like those sort of things like marry together like what, what skills do you kind of transfer from one to the next um okay so actually a lot is is really crazy so i focus a lot on um because of the course that i do is a lot on devising and expressionism and clowning and all of that good stuff so it's kind of stuff that's really easily transferable so my movement style and my de the devising of my performances um physically with my body i find like kind of easy to go to and devise alongside the music and the lyrics and then um the acting side of it i feel like i can use my face well enough you know as an actor and uh clowning when it's not like a lip sync performance and it's just like hosting or comedy and stuff i go to like clowning and comedia because it's just so easily accessible and it works it just works because drag is so like hyper theatrical most of the time and taking this like weird universe where you've just been like taught to go to the like the big extremes it it's really useful actually but then there's obviously like the subtle like naturalistic acting side which i don't really use much in my drag but it's um nice to have that understanding and they they do just work perfectly hand in hand in my opinion mm, absolutely i mean I'm, I'm sure it could be argued that dra drag is like just a, an extension of of theatre um which is yeah of course um 
And I, like you mentioned your own contemporary theatre, so I believe we have another graduate of the course here, Rory, am I correct? <laughs> yes, yeah, you are, yeah, that's, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was on the same course as, as Kyron. I graduated in 2019, so I managed to just eke out before the pandemic hit, which was real, which lucky. was really, lucky. yeah, lucky, <laughs> lucky. And obviously, Phil, my heart goes out to everybody who's on the course, including you, Karen. But you're doing all right, so <laughs> you're doing pretty good stuff. Yeah. Have you guys, have you guys met before? Like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was in, um, I was in Karen's audition to uh, get into East 15. Uh, so I was sitting there, and uh, and after he left, um, the course leader just kind of turned to me and was like. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, like, Roy, if, if you'd love to tell us, like, how you got into writing, like, your starting, like, where you started in terms of, like, performance. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I auditioned for drama school for years. I was auditioning from, like, for, like, five years. And I was always going for BA acting. Uh, and I got into a couple of places and I decided at the end of the day, I went and looked at them and I was like, ah, not for me, I don't want to go. So I didn't go then. And um, and I just sort of, was, I was just getting knocked back a lot. And I was like, ah, I don't really, I don't really know. And I kind of decided eventually, I was like, ah, there's going to be a point where I just stop and I have to do something else. Um, but I was always a writer and I was always creating stuff. And I always liked devising and making stuff up on the spot and improvising. And I did a lot of that with the uh, National Youth Theatre um and so <laughs> repping MIT oh, yeah. um even though I, I pretty much did nothing other than the summer course but it's still I'm like <laughs> <laughs> um but then yeah and then my my friend got onto the contemporary theater course at East 15 and said oh this is this is great this is at the end of this course you get to write plays um and direct them and do all this and I was like well, that sounds exactly like what I want to do because I never like doing just one thing I get really bored of acting after a while and then I just want to go and write something for 100 years and then I want to come back and do acting so I, I never want to sit in one place um so I got onto that course which was great um and then during that uh there was lots of opportunities for writing and creating and I ended up writing my first play which was called A Partnership and it was an LGBTQ plus uh, two-hander and it was about internalized homophobia it was all played out in real time in in uh in one location so the the challenge for me was to make this one conversation basically just interesting for an hour um which i i mean hopefully i did and um so yeah that went well wrote that took that up to fringe had a lovely fringe um a lot of people came and saw it and we had a couple of sellouts and some great reviews and some awards which was lovely um <laughs> and then uh yeah and then we and then now we're sort of in the process of putting it onto like a small scale uk tour all stuff that we were going to be doing last year and then obviously pandemic and so we couldn't do it so we've had a little r d and rejig of the play um and yeah so that's hopefully going to be going out going out soon um but yeah that's i mean it really is just in terms of being a writer it's it's kind of like I just had this play and then I was like I don't know how to do anything with it and then I was like well we, you go to Fringe you've got a play you've got a Fringe and so we went to Fringe and we just spent six months emailing and chatting to everybody we possibly could to try and come and see it um, so I'm very much just like went in with no no clue of what I was doing and and just tried to figure out a way <laughs> But hey, a partnership debuted to some wonderful reviews at the Fringe. 
so I've heard. So, you know, it, it, it's all worked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it did well it did well it was lovely I mean it was really nice because obviously when you're at the fringe you just want to keep getting people into your place so luckily the first reviewer we had in gave it five stars um and actually became quite a good friend of ours afterwards which was lovely um so he's just going around every poster just like shoving five stars on it like please come see it look this person says it's good so you should <laughs> like it too come and see it <laughs> and I know that you do like all your all your writing performance projects underneath the banner of paper mug uh paper mug mm -hmm. um so how, how like where did you meet um people in paper mug like how did that come about so yeah so paper mug is my theater company uh, i run it with two other uh, people josh tucker and sebastian gardner and we all met on the same course at east 15 and um we were kind of like we had similar plays and we had and we were really good friends and we had similar ideals of what we wanted to get out of this theater company so we said all right let's just put this we had two plays that we took to Fringe. Let's put them under the banner of Paper Mug. And then we have kind of brand awareness. So people go see one play. After that, we can give them a flyer for the other play. It's just, yeah, exactly. It's all business acumen stuff that, you know, I, I say as if I have any idea what business is. Um, <laughs> and um, yes, so, sorry, go on. Oh, sorry, um, I was just gonna ask like, do you consider like Paper Mug to be like an LGBTQ plus company or is it is it wider than that, broader? So um, it honestly, it's it's not really specifically LGBTQ plus. The the thing that makes it LGBTQ plus on our side is is that everything I write um, has to include a queer character uh, somewhere in the narrative, and almost everything I write includes a queer character as the center of the narrative, um, and it's a, it's about queer issues. Um, and so our company sort of design is that we we look into um, Sort of unseen issues in in society um and then also but then also we've got like lots of other things in the, like we have a horror zombie horror comedy that we've 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 made and we've also got an immersive like medieval style dungeons and dragons style game that we're putting on so we have like this like base level of what we do <laughs> but we, we we also branch out into lots of other like crazy stuff just stuff that we enjoy doing but i love writing about queer stuff i love um to, to sort of like pulling threads and having a look at what we need to fix and work on and so that's my contribution to the theater company is that's where all the queerness comes into it awesome awesome thank you i i'm like i said i'm obsessed with these ideas and i, I, I can see them at some point i love the idea of like this i don't know like choose your own destiny sort of show like the dungeons and dragons down that sounds awesome as soon as pandemic's over and I've got a hundred grand, I'll put it on and you can be the first one in. Carl <laughs> ain't ready for this. <laughs> um, come on to our next question. Yulia, you mentioned this yes. earlier on, um, which, you know, segues beautifully into the question. Um, what, what projects have you seen that um, have shaped the work that you now create? And I know you mentioned Lady Gaga, and I would love to know, like, all about like how Lady Gaga shaped your work or even any other like influences which you draw from well, your, your the drama. thing is the thing is um I'm in House of Our three other people um and two of those people are my like longtime friends who I've met on a Facebook group called Lady Gaga fans Finland <laughs> in like 28 like 2009 or something 2010 um we met on a Facebook group and then we were all living in like different cities around Finland and that's how we like initially met and like uh, we were talking like every day and then just came, became friends. 
So <laughs> Gaga is like the base of everything, the foundation. Funds everything together. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So she's always been like, she's like the strengthening bond of our group, basically. Like, um, yeah, everything should be in like crazy Gaga fans since like day one. Mm. But um, like the yeah. Huh? Since like the fame era, 2009? Yeah. Mm. All of us have been like crazy fans since then. Obviously, we didn't, didn't meet until like 2010, but still. Mm. Um, yeah, she's been, she's like the base of inspiration for everything. But mm. then um, I, I do think um, my, I think for our drag collective, our biggest inspiration, at least for me, um, has to be Drag Me to Hell, which is a Finnish um, drag collective. They uh, are, I would say, the founding fathers of Finnish drag. Uh, Lainey Krakhausen and Lola Vanilla, they are the, I think, the like, yeah, founding fathers is a good, good time, but they basically so like started. Underground, because I, I know that you, yeah. you'd consider like House of Hour to be like an underground sort of collective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're like the like, um, leaders of like uh underground finish drag because there's like two different categories of finish drag this is the underground parts where kind of we land and then there's the traditional um like uh impersonator type of type of, type of people and like uh very much like a group that i don't want to be associated with in any way because <laughs> they also more like the traditional drag side possibly more like the more com like commercial is is that the right term to use perhaps commercial yes definitely because they are much they're very much like towards like uh white people who go to like christmas parties and then uh they perform to those kind of people and we're doing queer drag for queer people i feel like that's the main like mm. distinguishing mm. between the two I get you. Um, so yeah, uh, Drag Me to Hell, they are the like the first big like underground drag collective. And that was actually my first drag show that I ever went to. They um, at the at the time brought the first like Rugals from Drag Race to Finland. And they've been just like doing everything. And I, um, they're like my biggest inspiration because they're like, they're the, like the ones that are like holding the family together because <laughs> mm. I think the underground drag scene scene in Finland is like this big 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 family and they're like big parents um but yeah and I also had the privilege to perform at a drag um drag me to hell event with uh Cheddar Gorgeous they brought Cheddar Gorgeous from Manchester out to Finland and I got to perform there and I also um actually got to perform at another event where they had Virgin Extravaganza from London. Um, and yeah, so they're like the biggest inspiration for, I think, uh, like drag practice wise and like producing side things. Hmm. Uh, what do you mean on terms of like producing side, sorry? Um, just like the fact that they just like built this empire of <laughs> underground drag in Finland and managed to be the like ones who like were the first ones to bring out like drag race girls and have like make underground drag like well known in Finland. Mm, gotcha. So, gotcha. That's why I mean. so they're kind of like the model, which everyone yeah. bases on. Are they, are yeah. they 
correct me if I'm wrong, are they sort of like the equivalent to what like club kids would be in in the UK? Kind of, but then there's also another like cl- like clearly like a club kids scene in Helsinki as well, which is kind of different from what we do in the underground drag scene, but it's kind of also somewhat ties together as well. Hmm. Awesome, awesome. And yeah. I also just, the club kids scene is obvious. They're also another huge inspiration to me. I just love their like extravagant looks and like the way that they approach, um, not necessarily drag because it's not, they're not like drag artists per se, but just like hmm. their view of being these like extravagant um, creatures that just party and um, attend parties and yeah. are like fabulous. Yeah, <laughs> so that's why, yeah. Fabulous, you know, entities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just like this thing, like uh, they they just appear to a party and then that's the thing. And they don't have to do they anything else. Yeah. And I want to do that. I want to be just like the party is me arriving there. And that's it. That. <laughs> <laughs> like she's here and she's already yeah, exactly. a queer. <laughs> yeah. Fabulous, fabulous. Thank you. Um, and uh, yes, Kyron, like I'm sure you can probably cite some very sort of similar inspirations as Julia um, for like, you know, the, the work you create in your drag. Yes. Um, so firstly, yes, Lady Gaga. It obviously inspires everything of every queer artist pretty much ever like (laughs) um it's something that like she has just I don't know she's been such a trailblazer and like is probably the best drag queen in the entire world um so yeah that um me and my drag family obviously we inspire each other all the time I take a lot of inspiration from them I take a lot of inspiration from the whole of the East London scene um from my course mates from anybody that's creating new work and like trying to break the mold um it's just i don't know it's such a broad question because i feel like i really do like if you had asked me a couple of years ago i'd been like um i inspire myself and that's about it um but now it's like I just really do find inspiration in literally everything. I could stare at a blank wall for long enough and it would inspire me, you know what I mean? Mm, I get you, I get you. But to, so to perhaps na- narrow the question down in terms of like, because you have your drag side and your your acting side, like, I know, ha- have you seen any like queer theatre projects um, which have been like, that's the kind of stuff I want to make, that, that inspires me? Um, so theater i don't know what i i saw i obviously saw the inheritance when it was when it was on and i thought that was just absolutely incredible like and i was so pleasantly surprised because i remember like buying tickets for it with my partner and we were like seven hours okay (laughs) this is gonna be bad and it just was just incredible and that theater wise like that is something that I would love to do but also I do over the years like I found more enjoyment in just doing like the really crazy like clowning cabaret kind of stuff which is like essentially me doing drag but just without wearing drag so you know um but yeah and tv it's a sin recently came out and 
I'm just like, if I was going to do anything TV and film, that is kind of like, I want to, I would be thrown into that immediately. I just thought it was so incredible and like stories that needed to be told. It's so interesting as well, because like, I feel that there's a lot of focus on like the, the US epidemic of AIDS and there's barely any like stories told from the UK's perspective. Like I know there was like, it, they touched upon it in the movie Pride, they touched upon it in It's a Sin, but it's just very much like you, I think when you see so much representation of it from a US side, you, you kind of think, oh, that, that's all it was. That's, that was where it was, but no, it was worldwide. Like there is experiences of it all across the world. And yeah. I think that's why It's a like, Sin is so important. It's a Sin was like, it was, I, okay. So I, I don't cry a lot <laughs> at like <laughs> shows and at like film and stuff. I find it really hard for like something, I can feel moved, but I just don't actually cry when I'm watching things. It's a Sin, I'm not joking you. I was just sodden with tears from beginning to end. Like, and I think it is because of that reason, because like you can empathize in a way that I was watching that, like these are my people. And if I was born a couple of decades earlier, this would be me here in London. Like, and there's just something about that that really strikes a nerve of like, you know, you just like, it's just stuff that you feel like you don't, you never think about enough like I should be constantly thinking about what happened to like my community years ago and it was just amazing to see that just playing out on on screen and also just amazing to see how good of an actor Ollie Alexander is because who knew I didn't know <laughs> you pulled that one out the back yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I mean he, he's been involved with like an NYT I believe and he did a couple movies but I don't know pe people forget you know we have to yeah. let the whole years and years thing yeah, it was a lovely, lovely showcase for, for him. Awesome. Thank you very much, Karen. Um, and yes, Rory, I'd love to know the kind of stuff which which you've seen, which of uh, which has inspired um, you know, your your creation. Yeah. Um first of all, I just uh, just off what Karen said, I just looking at you and being like, God, you need to you need to apply to be the role of Ollie Alexander's younger brother at some point. Cause and just as soon as you said that, I was like, you, you look, you look dead like him. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's definitely a compliment. Um, I'll, 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 it's just a weird question for me because I think a, a lot of the things I'm inspired by are not the things that I, that I necessarily emulate. So, so like my biggest heroes and the people I'm most interested in are the people who do everything. So it's the Lin-Manuel Mirandas and the Tim Minchins and the Phoebe Waller-Bridges, like the people who, oh, and the Michaela Coles, of course. Oh my God, like, the, I think the fact that Michaela Cole created I May Destroy You, starred in it, produced it, directed it, wrote it, everything, that any part of it, she probably set designed it. Like I, she did everything because of this, this vision that she had that was so clear and so wonderful. and. People like that, and Tim Minchin did this show called Upright. If you, if you ever get a chance to watch, watch it. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Um, and these people who have these kind of like all these different strings in their bow, and they never really decide to choose one. They just kind of go in with all their skills and say, "Oh yeah, I can. I'll do the music to this. I'll, I'll produce this. I'll direct this." And I love that. That, that inspires me personally. Um, I just really love that kind of thing. Um, but then also like uh, Russell G Davis is my favorite writer. Um, there's um, Sin fan, I presume. 
Oh, I'm a huge It's a Sin fan, massively. But I'm actually, I'm actually, I, I really like that show. I, 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 there's some old shows that he's done. Like there's one called Bob and Rose that was only on for like one series and it's from like 1999. And it's just, oh, oh, it's just so amazing. And Cucumber and Banana, which was like five years ago. Those shows, oh, they're just, they're just, they're just masterpieces, like absolute masterpieces. And so I love that kind of thing. And, and, but the reason that I have kind of a bit weird with this question is because, um, in terms of inspiration, I still think there's quite a lot of way to go. And I'm kind of trying to make myself um, the kind of person who, who challenges the, the problems in the, in the, in the theatre and TV industry. And the, what I mean by that is, um, especially with queer theatre and queer performances and queer TV and film, um, it's, still, it's still a lot of beautiful young people dealing with sex or coming out or first times and stuff like that which are all really important stories and they're interesting and they're exciting but they're also done like there are a lot of them are done and so what I was I was trying to do with my first play was I was trying to look at a long-term relationship between um two two men in their 30s and just see what that was because I hadn't seen that before I've never seen a long-term relationship um played out properly and just have a look at how that is affected by being queer is that is it affected by being queer or is it just like another long-term relationship and those are questions I was asking myself and my next play the one that I'm writing now is um it's about fat phobia in the queer community so it's going to be uh, have four plus size people in the in the leading roles and you know I just feel like sometimes my inspiration comes from the fact that I'm not seeing you know, I'm not seeing bigger people on screen and stage. It, we, we're starting to see more trans representation, but it's still got a huge way to go. Um, and so in terms of inspiration, I think what I tend to look for is what is not being said and what's not being put out there. Um, and that kind of makes me go, cool, I, well, maybe I can add some stuff into this. Maybe I can put something here. Um, not, I'm not trying to say that like I'm fixing. I'm fixing theatre, guys. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like... I just I just don't want to be I, I don't want to go and I I, I want to go see a good like good queer theatre I want to go and see it but I I don't really want to sit through two hours of two people with six packs talking about how hard it is to be you know tall and beautiful it's like yeah fine it's like but I've got a belly I've got I've, you know I, I want to know what that <laughs> what's that like you know going into a into a club and and you know being a bit bigger what's what's that experience I was like I know that experience so I'm going to put it into into the world yeah <laughs> awesome and that actually segues into one of my questions really really nicely which is like what pitfalls do you think queer theatre has encountered uh what tropes <laughs> can we let go and you you know you've articulated some of that beautifully um, yes so I think there are some you know are, are we starting to tread ground which we've already seen before you know are we kind of getting stuck in in like this ditch met metaphorical ditch of like i don't know i feel like perhaps we've seen a lot of coming out stories over, over the years i feel like it would be so interesting to pick up from where you know the, the this this character uh has already came out or, or like they don't need to like um grapple with that journey of coming out and more just like their their experiences within like the queer community i think that would be extremely interesting to well from. i just i think that the thing is i think that sometimes i, I think those stories are so important mm. and i do i do think that they have relevance in our society as well and, the, and they are helpful for people because some people still have 
huge problems coming out and we still have a lot of homophobia in the society both internalized and external but what i what i do think is that sometimes we're kind of missing the 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 now of it because with tv and film you can kind of be forgiven for looking into the history kind of it's it's just it's honestly just what sells really but in theater it i always feel like theater does need to be about the now and you know right now we've got you know conversion therapy is still going on and the government keeps saying yeah we're going to fix it we're going to fix it we're going to fix it and they don't and it's like okay so where's the where's the play about you know conversion therapy and all this kind of thing i think i think sometimes we can as as artists um we can sometimes miss the the what's going on right now around us um because i think as well as queer people we have a lot of it, like trauma that comes through just just from being a queer person and it's very easy to to focus on that and to try and extrapolate it and use theatre as a therapy tool which i think is a, is great because everyone should go to the theatre or do theatre as a sort of therapy tool um but i think also it's very useful to to look at what's happening right now and what we could do to fix what's happening right now to people you know in in our whole community Mm, sure, sure. And I'd like to invite uh, Yuli and Kyron to have it, have input on what do you, what do you think, like the pitfalls of, of uh, theatre or potentially all, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think there was, there's a period, and I don't know when it started, I don't know where it's going to end, when queer stories, like big queer stories became sort of about making money and cashing in um because i think that's the reason like rory said about like things that sell and i think the like beautiful misunderstood like twinky guy who's like just masculine enough but just feminine enough um for like the mainstream media to to accept him um and we've seen that story of that person coming out and facing those troubles over and over and again and i think that like the mainstream society like of outside the community have kind of lapped that up and been like yeah we're accepting we're allies and they go and buy that stuff so then they keep regurgitating that story when it's like it's been told over and over again and i will die on this hill love simon's a bad film um but it's I kind of agree 100%. <laughs> I remember seeing it and I was like, this does not live up to the hype whatsoever. I hated the film. <laughs> yeah, like, Thank why, you. Why is this being told now? Like, I was like, do you know what you could have done? What you could have done is had that story be a trans person and coming out and the struggles that are there, because that is a story that we haven't seen as much. That's a story that we need to see because that's what we need to change society's perception on, because there's so much, like, with theatre, TV, film, with everything, I think these stories need to be replaced by trans people and trans people of colour, because that those are the stories that need to be told right now, that need the people that need to be uplifted, and the, the like, gay, white, handsome male is, like the most privileged out of anybody in the community and to see that story just being told over and over again in so many different forms because it's something that people know allies will enjoy because it makes them feel good about being allies um is not is not good enough yeah so i think i think a lot more 
there needs to be a lot more focus on trans people and trans people of color in queer theater. Yeah, I completely agree. I was just gonna say that we've seen enough of the white twink man. <laughs> like we've seen enough. Um, just more stories of like, even white able-bodied people. Like we've seen enough of those. We need we need people of color. We need trans people. We need to see people who are not as able-bodied as normal, like we might are. For sure, for sure. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, like from like the uh, promotion, like pr production sort of side as well. I feel like a trope, which I I personally am very tired of, um, is like on a poster. It's like to promote a piece of queer work. Why do we need a topless chiseled white man in like some weird underwear? Like why why do we need that to promote a show? Like. <laughs> I don't oh know. god I, yes oh my god sorry go on oh I just, just like yeah, yes it really, it really puts i don't know the the queer community in this sort of like bubble like this is what they want this is like exactly i don't know how to sell it it's, i don't know I, do you guys know what i mean like I'm, I'm hoping to open up some discussion about that um yeah yeah, look, I, I, I like, I, I completely agree with that. I think I, I've, I've walked past enough of those posters, and they're all in neon, and they're all in um, black backgrounds, and it's all like, God, you could, you could, you could grate cheese on the abs. It's like it's great, it's lovely, fine, but I don't see any difference to this between any other poster. And I think again, like we've been saying, this does come down to money and, and what is going to sell. And obviously, uh, a, a sexuality of that, of that ilk is is the sort of mainstream and that's the thing that's going to sell but uh, what i tend to find with those plays as well is that what they're actually selling is is on the poster it's selling sex with the with with the nudity or and then you go into the play and it's normally about trauma or it's about like misery it comes to a some sort of miserable end normally uh, because because it's if you've got you know nudity on the poster you're going to assume you're going to be seeing something sort of slightly darker or grittier or whatever and I think with that, it comes into like a little problem of like, where, when are we ever going to tell the, um, the proper rom-com? When are we going to tell like the, the bridesmaids, but full of queer people, you know, like all these, like, where's the fun? Where's the fun stories about this? Like the, the proper comedies about like real people. Um, yeah, that's, I just think that we, we sometimes linger in the trauma and audiences really seem to lap that up. And sometimes I'm like, I want to see one that, you know, works out. I want to have a nice... And I want to have a nice kiss at the end and then <laughs> everyone goes home feeling warm and fuzzy, you know? I think there's room for that. For sure, for sure. And coming off like trauma, like um what a lovely, what a lovely word. Um <laughs> that was that was strange, thank you. Um but co coming off trauma, um in terms of like creating work, um uh yes, what, what am I trying to articulate here? Creating work. How, how do you stay protected when, you know, we, we use our own experiences in our work um, or even when, when performing um, in like a piece of work, how, how, does, how does someone, you know, have like, you know, that, that mental hygiene to keep, to, you know, protect themselves. Um, and I don't know whether, um, like Yulia, you've had any experiences of this, like even when just like performing in drag, like do, do you ever sort of, 
you know, put put any any of your own experience into your own drag, or do you feel like you drag as you're distancing uh, yourself from that, like, and, and you mm. it becomes a, an art of celebration and joy. Yeah, that's more like I I have done one more serious piece, and I I um, literally left the stage crying, and I was like, I'm never doing this again. It was it was a good experience, not not saying that, but um, it's just I prefer doing pieces that are more celebratory and like just mm. being fun because <laughs> like uh I feel like we've see, we see enough of those traumatic sad stories and I just want to bring something else for sure, to the table. sure. and say if you were to approach that performance which which ended in you know in a you know a, a sad a sad sort of way like how how do you think you would go about that differently or yeah um I don't know because I'm just not used to I felt like I was being so vulnerable on stage and I feel like I use I use humor a lot in my performances to um, kind of combat that so uh, I I mean I probably I would perform it again but uh, in just like environments that I know are safe <laughs> like at our own club for instance because it's it's a I know it's a safe environment for me but um, yeah I don't know <laughs> where does I'm curious as well like where does your like performance side come from like have you had experience in theatre and like acting before or is this um I actually did go to um like a theatre oriented high school in Finland mm. but I've never I've never like done much acting or anything I was more like um visual arts person myself mm. um but I don't really know where it comes from I just <laughs> um I don't really know. <laughs> you, you just find that you just like pop on stage like it, it yeah. all comes alive. Yeah, and then sometimes I just find like songs that really speak to me. And like, that's like I, for instance, that um, performance that was like more vulnerable. It was a song by Ali X and it's like this very emotional song. And I really felt like it spoke through me. And so I, that, that's how I, it really just depends. But usually it starts with the song, like I, mm. I let that speak for me. Mm. Something which I absolutely love about like Lady Gaga as well, in particularly in the masterpiece, which is Chromatica. <laughs> Again, let's have a moment <laughs> to appreciate Chromatica. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's putting, it, it was her channeling like her, her pain in like a positive sort of way, like reclaiming yeah. dance for like, I huge, huge respect for that. Like she's, you know, taking some big, big old struggles in her life and she's turned them into absolute pop bangers. I <laughs> and I love that. Like I, um, I'm all for like a sad ballad, like lip syncing, being dramatic, but I just love, like I did um, a, a digital drag performance to 911. And I just like, it was literally me popping like my anxiety pills. <laughs> and I just thought it was like <laughs> the perfect way of like just being fun, but also still like, talking about like obviously I very much relate to that song with like my anxiety things so for sure, for sure. um and yeah how, how have you found like you mentioned you did the, the online show like how how has everything been in in terms of like, the pandemic like where has dragon cabaret and club like how has that managed to survive in this um moment? we did we did a series of drag online drag shows under the happy hour brand but um it just kind of it's not the same and we just we had I think we had three in total and then we just like decided that it's not 
this is not it. <laughs> this is like a drag, digital drag for is not for us. Um, and then I um, that nine one one performance I did for another digital drag thing that I was asked to perform in. Mm. But um, I feel like some. I feel like I just don't. This me personally, I just don't feel like I have the energy to look at a drag show online because it's not the same. And I miss the being in a club and like being in that lovely environment of gay <laughs> queer energy and it just doesn't to me it doesn't translate on um twitch or instagram live or something for sure um, i'm sure that the yeah. same could be said for the theater as well like i i have a huge pining for yeah. you know that traditional theater experience sitting in a theater i miss it so much yeah. <laughs> um but I, i'd love to open up the uh the conversation because I know that both Kyron and Rory, you both are from contemporary theatre East 15, create your own work. Like how do you how do you stay protected when creating your own stuff? Like do you have any any top tips for people who may be listening? It's a weird one because even like just being at drama school in general, you're kind of I mean dependent on the drama school, but you're kind of um told, hey, um if you went through this as a child, maybe you should use this for your um, breakup scene here. And I'm really sorry. I'm literally plugging in my laptop because I just got a message that it's about to die. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Right. Okay. Yeah. You're kind of told like um, use use all of this trauma that you experienced as a child for like this big emotional scene, and um, it's it's a weird one because then. On top of that, you're using all of your own experiences all the time anyway, um, especially for creating your own work. And it's kind of a difficult, difficult one to try and give advice for. You just kind of have to try and figure out your own way of doing it as healthy as possible and like what kind of things to stay away from and what kind of things you're okay with doing. It's just kind of having a conversation with yourself, I think. Um, and for me, it's only using the stuff that ha like I've come to terms with and that I've really thought through in my life. And like, I know why this happened and how it made me how I am and how I can use this in a healthy way. You know what I mean? Whereas I think a lot of people are very quick to use an experience that has happened to them quite recently and they haven't had time to process it and they haven't had time to really think about the ins and outs of it and then they use it and it's really unhealthy and it damages them. Um, so for me, I think, yeah, it's a case of time and a case of having a discussion with yourself or a therapist or anybody to really talk about what, what this event was. And um, then when you understand it properly, I think you're way more likely to be able to use it in your art in a safe way without damaging your mental health. Thank you. I'm getting good tips. <laughs> <laughs> Rory, yeah. tips to impart. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I know I get that same thing. I, I, I agree. In drama school, it's, it is like, oh, God, you need to just pull this out of the darkness from your soul within and 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 put it all out on stage for everyone to see. And that's fine. Like, if you can, if you've got the, um, if you've got the, what's the word? if you've kind of had that time to process it and you're okay with it and you're okay with putting yourself out there, which a lot of performers are because that's kind of our drive is to put what's on the inside on the outside. And as long as 
you've had time to process that and you feel comfortable doing that, then and I'd say go for it. Um, but it, I agree with with Kyron. It is like you do need to have you need to have processed it for yourself before you start giving it to somebody else. Because otherwise, you're just you're just sharing stuff out and and not really giving yourself a time to to process it and accept it and and, and come to terms with it in your own way. Um, so for me, I mean, I'd say for more in terms of like as a writer than a performer. For me, uh, if I'm putting on my own experiences or my own feelings and thoughts into into a into a, a piece of work as a writer what I'll normally try and do is I'll try and look at sort of the other side of whatever I'm I'm saying so if I'm talking about some sort of something that I believe in or something that I feel very strongly about I try very hard to then go and look at the other side I always do it like try and imagine you're on the other side of the Twitter algorithm, you know, all the things that you don't see, like try and put yourself there and see what it, it see what it's like. Um, Cause then even if you, something you completely disagree with, you at least know what the other, what the other thought process is. And you can kind of, you can build a, a solid like understanding of what you're talking about and, um, and how you, you feel as well. And I'm not saying you have to go and agree with all the alt-right trolls, like don't, don't get sucked into like a, a minefield of that um but i think i think taking terms of taking care of yourself i think the the one thing that i advocate aside from going to therapy which is obviously the ideal but not everyone can afford it and you know it's impossible to get on waiting lists at the moment um but aside from therapy is just understanding just understanding um you and yourself and, and your feelings um as best as you can and getting as much information as you can about what you're saying and then hopefully you can kind of you can analyze in your own in your own body in your own head in your own minds and you know find some find comfort in wherever wherever you wherever you live i went really sort of philosophical near the end there. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't intending to go that way <laughs> loving it though loving the philosophical vibes um I think, yeah I, i'm gonna draw on a reference from um rupaul's drag race all stars five um, when Shea Coulee was talking about her experience with like the rose petals. Uh, I don't know if y'all, have, have y'all seen the, the show? Cool. Um, but like, I remember she, she was really struggling with like processing that and then getting to like the stand-up comedy challenge where it was like, you know, if, if you're ready to laugh at it, then go for it. Like, you know, this was something which, you know, really affected her for a long time. And then she found, you know, if she's able to make light of it and, you know, turn it into something which, you know, can entertain and like entertain others, then that, that's a good way of potentially going about something which is difficult otherwise to talk about. Like if you can, if you can make fun of it, then, you know, you're, you're one step further to processing and getting past that hurdle. Um, but yes, thank you guys so much for, for chatting about that. Um, I think it, particularly as you know, queer creatives as well. Like there's some, some of more difficult things have happened in our lives, which, you know, the straights could never. Um, um, yeah, I think it's, in, in especially our line of work, it's, it's really important to be able to know, to be able to tell those stories, but also do that in a way which is healthy and safe. So yeah, thanks guys. Um, a question which I, I, I'm super, super interested to get your thoughts on this. Um, how do we feel 
about heterosexual slash cisgender people taking on queer roles in theatre, like theatre specifically. Um, because I've been thinking about this and I'm like, obviously there is a standard within film, like, you know, there's been all sorts of like conversations where people have been like queer, like queer roles for queer people. And absolutely, I 100% I agree with that. But I'm like, I think back to like Andrew Garfield in, in Angels in America. And I think he was celebrated for that role. He was, he, he got a Tony. Like, I'm thinking like, where was, where was everyone's criticism when that occurred? Like when we think instead comparing to like where James Corden absolutely took the piss in the prom. Like, is there a difference in standards to theater and film in terms of queer roles for queer people? I don't know, I'm, I'm super, super interested to go your thoughts. Um, it's, it's such a weird, like, it's such a big conversation and it's so difficult to try and like understand. Um, but for me, like, so firstly with the, the cisgender thing, I don't think it's ever, ever appropriate for a cisgendered person to be playing somebody who is trans, um, because dysphoria is such a specific thing and also because trans people at the current climate are just not given any other roles than trans roles, which is something that needs to change. But having cisgender people playing trans roles when trans people are only seen for trans roles because of the way the industry is at the moment is just not acceptable. Um, so I don't think that's ever okay. But with playing a different sexuality, I think it's kind of a different ball game because for me anyway, sexuality, I mean, as gender is, but sexuality is so fluid and people are constantly having conversations in their brain about like where they are and stuff. And I think it's, it's much easier to access as an actor than it would be to play a trans role because mm -hmm. I just don't think you have the experience, lived, lived experience or knowledge to play a trans role. But with um, playing a different sexuality, I think for most people it's probably easier to access because it's attraction and love which you have experienced which you can just put into a different place whereas people mm. that are cisgender haven't experienced dysphoria um but that being said the same thing counts for queer actors only being seen for queer roles and if you look like myself and you're quite like androgynous and stuff and you're kind of put into this box of like this is your casting so you need to always play a queer role but then somebody like Darren Chris then playing that queer role when they're straight and then getting awards for it is kind of like that would be more okay if somebody like me was seen for the straight roles as well you know what I mean it should be an even playing field for sexuality if straight people are wanting to play queer roles also then get the queer actors in the same rooms as uh, straight people you mm. know what i mean mm. big conversation <laughs> big conversation and it's interesting as well to come back to andrew garfield um tony kushner asked andrew garfield to take on that role which i think is the most interesting part like a queer writer with one of the most prolific queer plays in modern history 
asks a straight man to take on the very challenging lead. And that's that's a wild thing to comprehend to me. Um, mm. And then, like Rory as well, like in, in your work, like would you ever, would you ever do a Tony Kushner? <laughs> like would you ever allow a queer like a non-queer actor to take on a queer role or is that like a, a big no-no um yeah it's a huge question look, uh, look I, there's i try well this is what we do whenever we do a casting call um for paper mug especially when we're doing queer well when we're doing queer theater is that it always put at the bottom um uh we um we would we would especially like to hear from LGBT individuals, and that's because normally when we're doing this kind of thing, um, people don't have to go and if you bring in a straight actor, they will normally have to go and research these experiences. And normally, how you research is by talking to other people and reading and going on online, and then you get all that stuff from external sources. Whereas when you're working with LGBT actors, it's fairly inherent. Like the, the research side of it doesn't need to be as extensive and also doesn't need to be as third party. They have firsthand experience and can channel their own experiences into, into the performance, which I always really love. Um, what I do think about this is, is that I, I'm not against having a straight actor in a, in, a, in a queer role, but I do think that it shouldn't be... Um, it shouldn't be these sort of like quite specific subsections. So in the example of Andrew Garfield, he's extremely feminine and flamboyant in, in that um, performance. Um, and Andrew Garfield isn't particularly known for that, but there are thousands of very feminine, very flamboyant actors. Um, sorry, I don't know if the flamboyant is the right word to use that, but feminine, very feminine actors um, who would not have been seen for that role. Um, I, I mean, the one that comes to the to my mind at the top of my head is, is um, um, Jim Parsons, who has had some fantastic success recently. And I really love that he he really embraces this kind of this feminine energy. Um, and that's kind of coming through a lot. What I think, oh, this is sorry, so this is just got, it's a bit of a ramble, but essentially what I tend to find, and this is sort of comes from my drama school experience, what I tend to see is in training, a lot of the straight actors or the people who identify as straight, when they would perform queer roles and they'd camp it up in inverted commas would be very like praise and like wow well done for stepping out of your comfort zone well done for doing that when the feminine actors when the queer actors come in and they they are made for a good portion of those three years to try and be as masculine as possible to fit these like um roles and to try and fit into these boxes that isn't their casting and it always it drove me at the wall because i was like why are you forcing these people to try and be like try and fit into this sort of straight mold so that they can play everything because the 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 thing is that not everyone can play every everything like I and you should be free yeah sorry go on no that's, that's right um i i've coming off your like being made to fit a mold like i I've, I've experienced a bit of that and i found it's often done in like subtle sort of ways like it's mm -hmm. not like be more masculine but it's like find your your grounded energy Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they I do, yeah. Soft sort of terms, which means like you know, find that masculine energy. But they 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 use it in, in an artistic sort of term, you know. And and I know where they're coming from because obviously they're trying to make sure that you can get as many roles as you possibly can, and they're trying to make every actor into a chameleon and who can do everything. But at the, in doing that, there's this risk that you just erase 
um, all this like this beautiful soft feminine energy in 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 actors. I'm sorry, actually, I'm speaking specifically um, from a male perspective. Um, from a female perspective as well, there's you also have people who are a lot more masculine. You know, these masculine and feminine energies, and I find that you know they're trying to get people to be as castable as possible. And and in doing so, there's a there's a big risk of just trying to erase what 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 makes them great, what makes them a fantastic actor and a fantastic person and creative and in the first place. Yeah. So that's that's where I kind of get the rub about that in terms of putting straight actors. I think the problem I have with it is that if you put a straight actor in a queer role, then it's like they're more likely to get lauded and praised yeah. than the other way around. Absolutely. It just shouldn't be a thing. I agree. I absolutely agree. Definitely seen that before. Um, and Juliet, like, do do you have any any more thoughts? Like, no, really. They, you guys have really like um, put it together well, very well. I don't think I have anything to add. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. Um, we are coming up to our hour sort of time, and I'd just like to ask one more final question, specifically to Kyla, Kyron, and, and Julia. Um, yeah, what, what excites you? Like, what what has drawn you from like you both had like um, experience in theatre and performance. Like, what what excites you about the club uh, compared to the theatre? I'd love to know. Like, you can go first if you want to. Okay. Um, yeah. So I don't right with a club. It's just I don't know. There's something so freeing about just putting on whatever you want to put on and like creating this whole fantasy and then like it feels like you're just being your truest self and having fun and there's no like stress or barriers and you know it's just like a really big family when you're out with like with your drag family or you're out with your queer friends and then performing in a club is it's so crazy because like being like doing theater is is amazing and it gives you such a feeling that like you you can't get anywhere else but then doing a drag performance in a club gives you a completely different feeling even though they're kind of on the same side of the coin like it's just the reactions for me like in theater it's like woo okay at the end and then like you know that's that's it that's how you do it in theater and then like in a performance in a club, you just feel, you are made to feel like you are the biggest like celebrity in the entire world. Like mm. you are showered with love. People are so impressed at every single thing you do. <laughs> and it's like the reactions are like so crazy over the top. People are screaming and shouting like for literally everything throughout the whole performance. Yeah. And then like, it just feels so, so validating it's like whoa my god um so it's yeah it's a completely different type of happiness because yeah. you feel so like with theater it's like get through this entire journey and you're following all of this through, and then like you're commended at the end and you feel like okay job done but then like in a gay bar you're like okay i'm just i am just the lady gaga throughout the moment i walk through the door to the moment i leave and people are obsessed and it just feels so much like it's kind of less professional which is nice because it's like the two the two areas it's the same same thing but different shades you know 
sure. And I bet it's like playing like a home crowd every single night. Like, you know, yeah. playing people who, you know, just to a group of exclusively like queer queer people and yeah just sharing yeah. That, that joy um which i'm sure you can relate to as well like everything yeah I, I agree completely what you're saying um i love performing in these like a lot of the venues that i've performed in um are more like these like literal club basements with like i can literally touch the ceiling it's the tiny tiny like ba um, basement club stage which like I love because the t uh, spaces are like so tiny and the energy is like just packed in there mm. and then you literally feel like the queen of the world when you yeah. do the smallest little things and like everyone's screaming uh one time I <laughs> I do not know how, how to death drop not not at all <laughs> but I uh, I have this performance where uh, this number where I death drop or kind of fall in the similar manner <laughs> and it's just it the audience goes crazy every time I do it and it's like I'm not even like it, I'm literally just like falling and it's um, it's fucking funny um but yeah it's just like the energy is so different I feel like in because it's so intense and everything everyone's just like packed there because I've also done performances in like more like traditional theater type of venues and that just kind of feels kind of too stale or like too like sterile I in a way um I feel I love I love the sort of intense club feeling yeah sweating um in a basement and somewhere in Helsinki mm. I love that um what was I gonna say I think yeah that's it <laughs> you know that that's yeah that's that's a sensation which I I miss oh and also just like the fact that it, I think doing drag clubs I know I'm performing for a mostly queer audience and I, that makes me just like feel more safe mm -hmm. um I've also done like performances for like in like schools and like for like uh some sort of parties for uh where I know the audience isn't mostly queer people and it's just it's just a very different vibe I feel like absolutely absolutely and I really hope that we're able to you know experience some some wonderful club performances again at some point soon <laughs> fingers crossed fingers crossed i feel like that's such a lovely note to end on as well like queer joy yeah. <laughs> um, yes um i would just like to say thank you very very much uh you guys for chatting with me for this for this hour and yes it, it's been an absolute pleasure um thank you so much for joining us on spill the tea thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode Look out for a summary pack that will be up on our Instagram and continue these conversations into your own lives. Make sure to follow us on our socials to find out what else we have been up to and do look out for our other episodes.